Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Local Success Podcast, where we continue our mission to admire, get inspired, and take action. I'm your host, Ricardo Flores. I have always been into fashion and style, and today I have the honor to be joined by a true fashion mogul, Terry Pillow. Terry has been in the fashion industry since a very young age and has had major success with some of the fashion giants such as Ralph Lauren, Giorgio Armani, Reebok, and more. All that led for him to become the CEO of Tommy Bahamas, a globally successful brand. Needless to say, Terry has experienced it all when it comes to the world of fashion. He just recently opened his latest venture, Homer, a fine leather goods located in beautiful Montecito, California. Terry takes us on a wonderful journey from his beginnings in fashion to his time spent in Milan, the capital fashion of the world. It meant so much for me to learn about Terry's life and mission, and I hope you all enjoy it. The fashion bug in Arkansas, and I don't really know. Uh, my sister was here this week, and we were talking about it. She said, you always had kind of a different style than everybody else, so uh, who knows where it came from. But I had a... I drove my parents crazy about going to the junior and senior prom. I had to have the right suit and the right tie and the right shirt and, uh, where everybody else was just throwing it all together. So but I, then I left high school and went followed my sister to college in Arkansas, a small school in uh, Arkansas, the University of Central Arkansas. And I went to work in a men's store. So I thought if, if I love clothes or like anything you love, my father always used to say, you'll do, be successful in anything that you love. Mm. He said, make sure that whatever you do, whatever you choose, that you really enjoy it because it's a life choice. And uh, so I, there was never a question what I wanted to do. So you couldn't learn fashion retailing in college. So I uh, went to work in this little men's store. A couple of friends of mine and I started it. They started it and I was working there. And uh, just fell in love with it. I mean, it's, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like it was the opposite. I would have paid them to work in that store. And, and I've, I, basically, at the end of the year, we had to settle up. And basically, I was spending more money on clothes than I was making <laughs> money, in this, money in the store. But uh, I followed the dream that I had and uh, to kind of work four years through uh, through college at that men's store and waited tables at night and uh, basically did what I had to do. And then uh, my father said he would pay for college as long as for four years of school, but anything beyond that was up to me. So when I graduated, I had to get a job. So uh, I got in the car and drove to Dallas, Texas and uh, started knocking on doors and uh, asking people what I could do in the apparel business. Wow. And uh, some guy told me, he said, you're a young guy, you're energetic, but you need more retail experience. So uh, got, and I said, what do you suggest I do? And he said, uh, go to work at Neiman Marcus, which I'd always heard of Neiman Marcus. It was a great store, a retail store. So I went, did, drove down to downtown Dallas, went to the store, got on an elevator and went up to the human resources department. and. Uh, he said, can I help you? And it was about 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'll never forget it at night. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> and uh, uh, I needed to work. And uh, so uh, they said, come back tomorrow morning and we'll 
interviewing you for the job and make a long story short i got the job so uh -huh. we talked a little earlier you said there's a difference between fashion and style and you were telling me a bit Talk That's a little an interesting bit about that. one, and where they intersect, they clearly intersect, but uh, you know, if you think of people with style, uh, in my life, Steve McQueen, uh, James Dean, uh, Robert Redford, uh, Paul Newman, I mean, these are guys that just reek, and women, you know, Grace Kelly, and uh, uh, people that just basically have... And they, I'm, most of them, I would assume, they can't tell you. I mean, it's not something you work at and try hard to develop. It's just you're born with an inherent. Those people have this style. Mm -hmm. John Kennedy and uh, his uh, Jackie Onassis. Uh, these these people have such great style. And my whole life, I've noticed these people that wear a certain shoe or they wear their belt a certain way or their shirt a certain way. And, mm -hmm. That's style versus uh, fashion comes and goes. Style is an enduring quality uh, that uh, people possess. And when you can find your own style, it's very comforting that you're not chasing fashion every day, that you can let fashion influence your life, but it's your basic inherent style that you develop that makes a, makes a, the world go round, in my opinion beautiful and then you spent some time in that store um what went after that and how'd you get into the the bigger names actually i spent uh, eight years at, at neiman marcus they moved me around to stores and they they moved me out here to newport beach california when i was 22 23 years old and managed the men's department at the neiman marcus store in fashion island i got a taste of california but then they moved me back to dallas and uh I was uh, very lucky. Uh, I was the men's sportswear buyer at Neiman Marcus, and uh, basically in that role, I was traveling. Believe it or not, I was 24, 25 years old, traveling to Europe twice a year. Wow! Uh, but and I worked with Ralph Lauren uh, as a buyer. I bought it, the collection, and Ralph. This is back in the 1970s, uh, early 80s. Uh, when Ralph was a small and Neiman Marcus was the only department store really that he sold with Bloomingdale's and Neiman Marcus. Uh, so uh, I went to work, uh, I was a buyer and I bought the collection and one day we were talking and uh, basically joined Chaps Ralph Lauren as a merchandiser, designer and uh, basically ended up being the CEO. So that's the first business real role that I took on. Fascinating, but he's a, talk about a guy with style, uh, Ralph Lauren is uh, the epitome of style. He just, he's, uh, every time you're around him, you could just see the way he wore his watch and the way he wore his clothes and uh, more than what the clothes were is how he put it together. Intentional. And very, uh, very uh, fulfilling part of my career. And when you were starting at this young age and doing that, were you looking at success a certain way or were you just following the passion of yours or a little bit of both? No, I uh, basically that's one thing I learned from Ralph. Ralph chose his own direction and uh, basically he didn't listen to style and trends and fashion. Uh, basically, he was uh, it, it was easy for him because he was the person that he wanted to be uh, and wanted to uh, 
followed that path. And I wasn't really a designer. I was more of a merchandiser, uh, which in those days, the, the designer name wasn't as big as it was is today. Uh, but so basically we were merchandisers and, and Ralph would tell you that he's not about fashion, he's about style and uh, doing that. So he, basically it was his vision and uh, it was my job to execute and uh, that's what I did. And did that for quite a while. Uh, and then uh, got a knock on the door for uh, George Armani who wanted to develop a, a jeans line uh, under the Armani name and he wanted to call it AX Armani Exchange. And, uh, I went to Milan and worked for him for five years uh, doing that and another incredible. That's what they wrote. It's <laughs> yeah. AX. Funny story about uh, George Armani. We were in uh, Milan one day having lunch and I was sitting there looking at it, and uh, he had a pair of, uh, of uh, sunglasses on that were uh, uh, not Ray-Ban, but uh, I'll think of it in a second. And I said, what are you doing wearing somebody else's uh, sunglasses? And he said, oh, he said, only a well-dressed Italian man would wear these sunglasses. And uh, he had such style, like, uh, different because it was so... Uh, good for me to work for somebody not an American, to work for an Italian, because the way they approach style and fashion is similar, but it's diff totally different than, uh, than... It's a culture over there. I mean, that's really where fashion begins, right? That's right. And people in general, uh, Europeans have, you know, they've been at it a lot longer than we have in this country, so the, it goes back thousands and thousands of years, and they just... Uh, you know, they have a certain style that uh, different than the French, different than the Germans. I mean, once you get involved in it over there, you can see uh, how different a lot of these uh, you know, looks and things are, which was a very great uh, experience for me in a, uh, opening up a whole world. That, there's a kid from Arkansas, and now, now I've worked for Ralph Lauren, now I've worked for George Armani, and uh, it was uh, very... Uh, fulfilling but then we ended up selling that business and uh decided to move on and then where did you go next what was your next stop actually uh sounds like i had all these jobs i guess it sounds like i had a hard time holding down a job <laughs> wait years but uh they were all we were all very successful and uh, we had a lot of great people i went to uh to work for uh Coach Leather Goods, uh, they were basically a leather goods company that uh, wanted to be in the apparel business. So uh, started the apparel line uh, and men's for Coach and was, uh, did that for a while and then ended up with Reebok in the sneaker business. Mm -hmm. Again, kind of full circle working for Reebok, had a license for Ralph Lauren uh, athletic shoes. And uh, so, and they owned Rockport Shoe Company. So I became the CEO of Ralph Lauren Footwear and uh, Rockport Shoes, uh, which first time I'd ever been in the shoe business and first time I'd ever been in the uh, uh, sneaker business. So uh, it was kind of interesting, but it was great. And then uh, we sold that to Adidas. And then I went to work, met some friends of mine that uh, had started this thing called Tommy Bahama, 
which was uh, this thing, <laughs> which was, uh, and then they were struggling with what to do with it. Uh, a friend of mine had just uh, a public company called Oxford had just bought it and uh, wanted to hire somebody to that I'd known them. So I basically I took a look at it and I said, absolutely, this is first time that I'd. The, you know, when you're working for Ralph Lauren, there's a Ralph Lauren, and when you're working for George Armani, there's a George Armani, which it's their vision. So when I went to Tommy Bahama, we, the story of Tommy Bahama was a fictitious story about a guy's life, but we used it as a, a anchor of guiding the business where it was. So in effect, you were Tommy Bahama. There was no Tommy Bahama. It's mm -hmm. a bit of business, but. So, and it was so much fun uh, working on a brand like that where you could chart the course of where you wanted to go and how you wanted to get there and basically put together a team of people that believed in the same thing that you believed in and uh, get everybody on the same page. And when you get everybody on the same page, pulling the same direction, it's very hard to stop the momentum of something like that. And I got real lucky and had a great the chief uh, operating officer and a uh, great team of people that uh, pulled that together and we had a, a very big success and I'm still somewhat involved uh, with Tommy Palmer today as an advisor of the Oxford Industries but it's, a, and it's doing so well now uh, even after I've been gone for seven or eight years uh this, this company's doing real, really well i'm very happy about that that's amazing what are some of the challenges you think are in the fashion industry staying on the same page which mm -hmm. is uh you know it's very easy to uh, run off in different directions and uh have people you know say even even with this business today you know as much as people come in the store and they like the store Inevitably, people can't help themselves. They say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do Wallace? And why don't you do this and that? And, uh, you know, in due time, uh, I think we will expand and we will grow. But basically, you have to, I mean, I've always said that in any business, uh, it's crawl, walk, run. I mean, people that sometimes with a lot of money, they'll come in and they'll say, well, we can do this and we'll throw a lot of money at it and we'll go big right away. And, they start out running where well, you'll trip and you'll fall and you'll uh, it, it's much more building a base for a business and crawling a little bit like what, what we're doing here with one store the only place you can buy this merchandise that we're designing and developing is right here in Montecito we, we're not online I don't want to be online but eventually maybe we will but mm -hmm. this is more of a touch and feel a business and uh, you need to keep anybody that works with me on the brand, which is about a half a dozen people right now, that basically you often have to share the same vision or you'll get taken in so many different directions that it diffuse the message that you're trying to trying to make. Because uh, with a small brand like Homer, uh, you, it, it's small, so everything you do has to be pointed in the same direction. And, uh, support the vision that you have for the brand which basically my vision is to make it a, have an american leather good line that is second to none in the world uh i there are a lot of beautiful italian bags and i've worked over there for years and uh, 
I, if somebody give me one of those Italian bags and say, can you make this? I'd say no, but on the con conversely, if I give them one of my bags, I'm guessing they say they can't make that either. So mm -hmm. we're enlisting uh, third generation saddle makers to uh, in the construction and the leather and basically because that's kind of what America stood for once upon a time quality. Uh, I hate to say a heavy hand, but a, a, a strong hand and a, a strong-looking product versus highly finesse. I see. So, uh, oh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Where did the name come from and what's the inspiration behind it? Actually, uh, when uh, someone once uh, said, I think his name was Weisskopf, who was the original uh, founder and uh, owner of the Rolex watches, uh, he said that a brand name needs to consist of no more than five letters and can be pronounced in any language in the world. Which, if you think about Rolex, he just made up because it was less than five letters, five letters or less, and it could be pronounced in any language in the world. Wow. And I always, when I read that, I, it was in some book, it was in the Rolex book, I think that quote is. And uh, when I put this together, I, my grandfather was named Homer. And uh, the picture of Homer here, he was a rural mail carrier and he was a cripple uh, his whole life. Fell out of a high chair when he was eight months old and they didn't set his leg. And uh, the only job he could do was riding around on a horse and buggy delivering the rural mail because he didn't have to get off the off the coach. Uh, and a uh, fascinating man, I knew him. Uh, he, I was 12 or 13 when he passed away, but he used to make his own bridles and harnesses because in Arkansas, rural Arkansas, they couldn't buy quality tax, so he had to make his own. And uh, I remember a little workshop behind the, his house that he just made, cut and hang only for himself, but then he started trading people for you know, eggs or something. You know, they just swap bridles for mm -hmm. other stuff. And, and uh, he was a, a, a maker, so I thought Homer, five letters, pronounce uh, it's easy to pronounce and uh so i thought well, it's just my his, his name was homer my father was homer he was and uh, my son is homer uh, uh which uh so i just thought it was a great and uh, people i sometimes get confused with homer simpson right something which uh but most people think of the iliad and the odyssey uh homer and uh and the, the, the poet there. So I think I love the name, and uh, so far we've uh, been, it's very, been very well received. Yeah, I want to get a tribute to your, to your grandpa. Um, that's amazing. What are some of the um, people that, besides the fashion and moguls in, in industry, what are someone that inspired you and that maybe has driven you to get to where you are now? Or some influences that I had in your life? Yeah, I'd have to say my mother and father because. Uh, First of all, rather than look at me like I was a strange bird when I wanted my jeans and shirts starched and ironed, and uh, they accepted uh, everything and encouraged rather than discouraged. I mean, you could see where somebody in Arkansas would say, you can't make any money in the fashion business, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, but uh, they didn't. They encouraged me to, if that's what you want to do. Uh, my sister was in special education, treating under, or teaching underprivileged kids, and 
special ed and uh, they encouraged her to go that and she had a wonderful career out of that so uh, I think anybody that uh, tries to push you in the direction they think you should go you've got to be true to yourself and uh, believe in what you want to do and uh, how you want to do it and follow your own dream and uh, like my father used to say you'll be successful at what you enjoy and what you love and that, that's kind of, uh, kind of where it is. So I'd say my mother and father and then there was one, my sister and I this week talked a lot about this one gentleman uh, that moved to Arkansas from New York. He was the minister's brother and uh, he introduced me to a whole world of New York from Arkansas. I was subscribing to the Village Voice when I was in the 10th grade and uh, he opened up the world and let me know that made me curious enough that that when as soon as I was able I couldn't wait to travel the world and Neiman uh, Marcus afforded me that opportunity. I went around the world twice a year and Asia and Europe and all over the place. And what are some of your favorite places or experiences that you had while doing that? Living in Milan was uh, obviously the, I thought I was uh, on, on the moon, I guess. <laughs> it, 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 New York is kind of the fashion, if you want to play in fashion or be in fashion, in, in America, New York is clearly the, the stadium that you need to play. So I'd already played in New York and when uh, I got the opportunity to move to Milan and work with Mr. Armani, it was uh, it, because basically you could on weekends. I mean, you could uh, drive up to the lake region, or you could you know two hours from Switzerland. And, uh, it was just, the whole idea of being there was just so unreal for me, and uh, kind of helped uh, solidify what and I kept. I knew that that's what I wanted to be in, and I was just afforded the best opportunities of working with clearly the best people in fashion. And uh, someone said uh, once, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, that said, if, if I was able to see further, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants, right? And uh, I've always looked at that basically that, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren, George Armani, early in my career, I worked for Alexander Julian, which is another incredibly talented designer and uh, early in my career that taught me a lot. So, uh, no, it's, uh, you know, anybody that says they weren't influenced and uh, uh, didn't have people uh, helping them in their career, I would say that, that wasn't my experience. My experience is people would reach out and wanted to help me and I, I used to say, if somebody's wanting to help you, just get out of the way and let them help you. Right yeah. I think, yeah, I think we, sometimes we could get in our way of saying we can do it ourselves, but we need to be open for those, especially those who have good interest in us. Uh, question I had for you, it seems like you had a lot of wins and successes throughout your life. Are there any failures that you had? Any any back, any step backs that you had to pick yourself back up and, and go from there? Actually, it's funny you say that. That's a good question because I don't know that you know, people want to talk about uh, failures. Uh, and I don't know that one doesn't pop out, but uh, I've definitely been frustrated with uh, 
pretty impatient on certain things and uh, some things I wanted to move faster than they actually moved mm-hmm. uh, and when you get involved in that thing some situation like that you sometimes make uh, uh, bad decisions and uh, so I've learned over the years to basically let let it come let it develop and let it build like I said earlier qual walk run don't get so frustrated that uh, you, you don't jump out and run right off the bat that basically you have to build these things organically where you can build on top of that versus it. But I, I will come up with something. Uh, I don't mean to sound like I did everything <laughs> so great. But well, I mean, it, I mean, that's part of your success, you know, if you're able to do it without much of, of those setbacks. And yeah. it seems that you had a clear vision in mind that you were able to, to follow. And that's the one I did Homer, basically. Uh, I was working out of my garage here in Montecito when I first moved here. and. Uh, there was only one person that could set the direction and could come up with the concept, and that was me. And then I'm now working with other people, and we will we're crawling very fast right now, and hopefully we'll be walking pretty soon and uh, running. We'll see what running looks like, but uh, it'll look when you start it and let it let it let it go, uh, control it to a point, but then let it go. It'll it'll take its life of its own. I mean, people, uh, I had a friend of mine in Japan that designed this uh, thing I put my glasses on, and uh, I think he designed it for me about uh, 10 years ago when we had Tommy Bahama opening up in Japan. And uh, I, I've been wearing these around. Everybody said, where did you get that? And I said, well, we make them. And I made uh, quite a few for the opening of the store, and we sold them all the first week. I know. <laughs> And uh, people are now still coming in. Say, I saw one of those glasses cases on somebody. Where can I get one? And I, I'm late. Of uh, we've got another order coming in. But uh, who would have thought that one of the best items that we had in the store would be an eyeglass? So it'll, it'll take you if you listen to the customer. Uh, the customer will tell you what they want. What they want. If you if you if you just listen, and you don't even have to ask them. Uh, you know, they'll they'll uh, you put something out that they respond to, and that's what's so nice about this business. Basically, I can if it, the door's open, I'm here. If the door is closed, I'm basically you got to come back and get it. But uh, but I learned so much today in this business that uh, as much as I ever did in any of the other business I've run because I'm so close to the customer. I mean. You were here earlier when you were setting up and you saw people just wander in and people asked me why at age 70 years old you want to do this. And that was my question, so go ahead. <laughs> and you know, I just love that interaction. I love those two women that came in earlier today and said, wow, this is a great store. You know, what a feeling that is to have worked on something for a couple of years that now you're exposing to another consumer and they come, somebody says, I love your store. I mean, that's enough. You know, what would I be doing today if I was retired sitting home and you know, having lunch or doing something? This way I get I only open three or four days a week and I get fulfilled by people excited about seeing what you're doing. I mean, there's it, that's what gets me going. It might not get somebody else going and it might seem crazy to somebody else, but for me, that's staying in touch and uh, it also helps me stay in touch with what's going on in the world. I mean, 
mean, you can't. You talked about earlier about setting a direction and knowing where you wanted to go and all that. You definitely need to do that, but you also have to watch what's the, the world is constantly changing and mm -hmm. uh, you got to be aware. And the products that are viable today may not be the same products that are viable in a year or so. so. Pretty awesome. And so now, what's kind of the goals with this tour? Where are you trying to take it? You were talking about you know up and running. What's your vision for this? Actually, I started out as a wine carriers, leather wine carriers, where you uh, see on the wall. Yeah. And basically, I'm very happy that I did. And there's still a business there, but it's more of an occasional business because uh, Father's Day, Mother's Day, birthday, wedding. Uh, when you think about giving somebody a wine carrier, but then we moved into the bag piece of the business, which has been, uh, I'd say both the businesses have been good, but they've been very excited about the, the bag piece of the business. Mm -hmm. Not handbags, because I don't really want to be in women's handbags. I basically, we call them casual sportwear bags, like that bag right there. It's a tote bag mm -hmm. with a uh, suede, and we call it casual suede, and it's a beautiful the bag that I designed this for myself, which is tanned on the inside, and but we're selling them 99% to women, uh, which is fine for me too. This is a great product, and call it a Montecito shopper. You know, Montecito is, yeah. And the people come in and just want to look at it, and I'm under no uh. A lot of this products, if you walk in, you've never heard of the brand. It's, it's, it's the shock. Of, uh, it's expensive because to make products in America, I've been making products in China for my whole career off and on. Everybody, we had some product that we made in China. We're not making any of this product. We're making it all here. So therefore, it's uh, more expensive, uh, but you get what you want and you work with people that you want to work with. Yeah. I mean, the leather is just an incredible material, lasts forever, Everybody, and it's beautiful. Uh, but the first comment uh, that when people walk in the door, they say, wow, I love the smell of leather. So we did a candle. We got all these oils uh, and mixed them together and basically came up with the same smell that you got in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, that the leather goes. So you can have your home smell like this, too. So. What about the logo, the little bird? What does that sound for? Uh, it's a... Peregrine Falcon, which uh, years ago uh, I was spending a couple of weeks in London. I had a free weekend and uh, I went to this uh, library of uh, heraldry, which is shields in England. And our family named the Pillows, we came over from uh, England at some point to Virginia, uh, as far as we can track it back. and. Uh, when I was going through the finding the name Pillow in this library, basically everything, the shields and the crests and everything that were around the Pillow name were birds, uh, which they, they used to say people when they came across the boat, they basically say the watchmaker, you go over here if you're a watchmaker. And so I, I don't know this to be true, but I'm assuming the Pillow, the pillow makers, feathers, right? Uh, and, Feathers were part of their, uh, so oh. I found this beautiful picture of a peregrine falcon, which is, I did research, was the fastest animal on the face of the earth. Because they, when they target, they go down, they 
get their prey there basically and it's agile and flexible so I thought the pillow name Homer my grandfather and, uh, and then he had the Montecito to it which when we went out pride for the uh, trademark for the name basically they said do you want to put uh, Montecito I said absolutely the brand was born here and uh, it's a great name I'm very proud to be associated with Montecito so trademark is a peregrine falcon homer my grandfather montecito this great city that we live in and, mm. where the idea was born what more than what more would you want and it's, this store is uh, about 150 square feet but it's uh, uh i built it where I, all the back stock is underneath these cases and uh, i got a store window and across from probably one of the best restaurateurs and uh, not probably but Definitely the best restaurant tour in town. I got to say that. Gene uh, and I have been in the fashion business, he and the Gene business, and me, and the, so we have a lot in common. So it's yeah, cool. a great, great thing. But I've been very fortunate, very uh, lucky in my career. Gene says sometimes you need a little luck. I was going to ask you that, you know, a lot of it is hard work and, but how much of it is luck and, and what are some things you would tell people to avoid in a journey of trying to pursue success? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard the old saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, but, uh, it's so true that, uh, I, I would say when, when basically, uh, when I got out of college, all these friends of mine were just putting the resume together and mailing it out to people and uh, I, I was looking at that and I said you know what are the chances you're going to get just sending somebody a letter and yeah you know, I get so many pieces of mail that if I don't know what it is I throw it away and basically I encourage people if you want something figure out who you want to work for and go camp out and basically knock on the door and show up show up until they say get out of here and <laughs> policeman to come get you out of there but yeah no one's going to do it for you uh and i think a lot of the kids that uh, yeah i call them kids because i'm 70 now i was at my last job was Tommy Bahama. people think well i did what i was supposed to do and i made a four point and i uh joined with this club and that club and, and i should get into a, a job well, no, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Basically, you got to show that you can make a difference. And that, uh, if you believe you can make a difference, and uh, if you get in front of somebody, I'm the biggest sucker when I was the CEO of Tommy Bahama. If somebody come in in an interview and they, I was the easiest guy in the world to sell. All you had to do was be excited about what, <laughs> tell me you wanted to work at Tommy Bahama and you didn't want to work anywhere else. And that's what you want to do. You're hired. Yeah, but basically, you got to get to that point where you can uh, get in front of somebody to convince them that that's what you want to do. And uh, and I guess the pit and parcel of that is uh, deciding what you want to do, right? So many kids today come out and there's so many options with the tech world and this and that, but uh, uh, very difficult when you you know graduate from high school to going to college and you know what 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 do I do and most a lot of people I didn't you know, uh, have a lot of people that obviously I was competing with to be in the fashion business 
it's kind of a very hard thing to do because so many options out there today with uh, the internet and tech and this and that. But it all starts with uh, if you don't have a great product, and uh, when we were putting this together, somebody they always use the term supply and demand, <laughs> right? Which uh, when we were putting Homer together, when I was putting Homer together, I just kept thinking about every day. I would say, well, what are you doing about supply and demand? Uh, I, I said, you know, somewhere along the line, the words got juxtaposed different. It should be demand and supply, because mm -hmm. if you don't have any demand, you don't need any supply, <laughs> right? So basically, unless you have a product that somebody wants and that somebody will pay you for, that basically you don't have anything to to that you need to make. So definitely uh, putting something like this together, the, the demand was the issue that I was focusing on, making sure I had product that people wanted and tested. And that we've been open three months and I've proven that basically people like what we're doing. And, and I do have a supply problem now because I can't, through the holiday season, we took orders and we're trying to fill those orders, but we basically are into end of May right now on fulfilling orders. So if people want to buy something, we're in the end of May, which we'll get caught up and we'll see how big next Christmas is. And then basically then we'll see where the future is. But to I don't want to force an issue and, you know, public companies are public companies, then they do what they do for a reason and you have to grow. I mean, basically, if you decide you want to be a public company, you have to listen to the shareholders and shareholders want growth. And and uh, right now I'm more concerned about the brand. I got to, I wanted to build, develop the brand and see what the borders, where we can push and what we can do with the brand. And I think it's an open runway for us. Seems like you're doing just that. Just a few last questions. Um, how do you want people to remember Terry Pillow? Um, specifically, you know, as a businessman, but also as a person in general? Boy, we were reaching deep. Uh, uh, actually, uh, I've done it by uh, whatever success that I've had. It's uh, I've been a reasonable man and uh, not... Uh, not uh, taking advantage of people but working with people because I think that uh, the world is a, a place that uh, you know people still respond. My father used to say you're a mirror uh, and uh, I used to say what do you mean dad? He said well when you look in a mirror you see the same person that you meet on the street what they're seeing uh, and and how you want to be treated and uh, this and that. So I've always treated people with respect uh, and uh, it's, it's worked for me and uh, never taken advantage of people. And uh, I would hope that no one that had worked for me or with me would, uh, would say anything different than that. So I'm... Uh, Pretty happy that I've had the relationships that I've had and the opportunities to work with people that uh, uh, helped me along the way. So, uh, and to not waste those opportunities, right? To really, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for this time. I really appreciate it. Anything else? How can people come to the store and find your goods and yeah. and what? Thank can... you. It's been a pleasure. Of uh, course, uh, it's easy to talk about yourself uh, when uh, but the. Uh, 
it's been a while since I've done it, which I used to have to give these big speeches and everything, which I've uh, hopefully mentored some good people. Yeah, well, I'm super intrigued by your story, and I I know it's going to inspire some people to pursue, keep pursuing what they love and and what you've done with the story. I mean, just the smell is incredible and the ambience. So, thanks a lot. Really uh, nice talking to you this morning. Same, Terry. Thank you. Uh, we'll catch you on later. Thank Thank you all for listening once again. I absolutely loved hearing about Terry's life and stories in the fashion industry. I hope they inspire you. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please hit the five-star rating and share it with your friends. Follow me on Instagram at local.success and see you all next time.